Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth, where we're exploring all sorts of business topics. Experts from around the world join me, your host, Diane Helbig, for a conversation where they share their expertise with all of you. Take what you need, when you need it. Featured on Inc.com, Forbes, and MSNBC's Your Business, this podcast is recognized as one of the best podcasts for small business, sales, leadership, social media, and more. When it comes to business, Accelerate Your Business Growth has got it covered. And now on with the show. My guest today is Ricky Howard. Ricky is a leading authority on U.S. federal government contracts. As a career military acquisitions officer, he oversaw $82 billion in DOD contracts and has advised and trained over 400 companies as a consultant. Ricky is the CEO of DOD Contract, which guides, trains, and mentors small business owners and sales executives through the government sales process. Thanks so much for joining me today, Ricky. Thanks for having me on today. I'm thrilled to have you on. I have to tell you that I keep getting an email that my SAM registration thing is going to expire. And Uh I just think to myself, this has got to be one of the most confusing things I've I've ever even tried to embark on. And I didn't try, you know, very hard, but um, looking forward to learning from you. Great. Yeah. No, and you know, there's also once you register in SAM, you get to watch out for there's some businesses that will try to look like the government and you know they'll see that you're um, you know, you're coming up on an expiration and they'll try to, you know, get some work out of you and hire them to renew your entity. So I've noticed that. Yep. Yes. I- I get emails from clients all the time. I know we're going off on a tangent <laughs> right away, but all the time, hey, this is it. They're panicking, like, hey, I'm going to get cut off. Yeah. And, okay, is it is it a dot gov or is it a dot com? They get an email, I'm like, oh, it's a dot com or a dot net. I'm like, it's not the government. It's you know, just just ignore it. So, so, so that's the great first thing that that we are learning is if it isn't dot gov, it's someone trying to sell you something. That's right. Exactly. So, yeah, you can ignore it if it doesn't come from Sam.gov or, or one of the other um, government institutions. But yeah, so that's a good way to start. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. So, so then let's sort of uh, switch or segue to um, I, I'm what I would like is for you to explain to the listeners what the benefits are of selling to the government, you know, as a small business, most of the listeners are, are small business owners and the impact it can have on their growth. Yeah. So that is a great way to start. It's, you know, a subject that I love and and we focus on small business uh, sales and helping small businesses sell to the government in our DOD contract Academy. And essentially the way you want to think about it is, uh, First and foremost, the government buys just about everything you could think of. So just uh, kind of setting the tone. So the government doesn't just buy weapons and things like that from the big defense contractors. They buy everything from, you know, accounting services and cybersecurity services, social media management to landscaping, construction, teaching, you know, everything that you could think of. Hmm. Uh, they're, They're a large purchaser. They are required to buy from small businesses. 
and very few small businesses are trying to sell to the government. So less than half of 1% of small businesses actually sell to the US government, um, despite the growing spend each year. And it's you, roughly 23% of federal spending goes to small businesses and, and actually exceeds uh, the, um, the parameters that are set each year. And what the benefit of a small for a small business of selling to the government is one is introducing a new revenue stream, right? So we're used to B two B, we're used to B two C. Most companies, as I've talked about, they don't they're not used to B two G or, or business to government sales. So they probably don't have that revenue coming in. So one is it's a way of introducing a new revenue line for your business and growing. Two offsetting what the economy is doing. So, you know, if we have a fluctuating economy where your sales might spike during different parts of the year, like a lot of industries do, I'm talking about the government, the government stays pretty consistent. So if you win a three-year contract with the government, that's revenue you can count on coming in. So it's a stable revenue source. And it also tends to be a lucrative revenue source. So once you get the ball rolling and you start winning those contracts and you can start growing your your public sector line of revenue can be in some cases it could be your largest revenue source certainly stable and then i would say the final piece to this is that if you're thinking of selling your small business at some point there are very few things that will increase the valuation of your company like government contracts will because of everything i just talked about the stability the revenue that's coming in year over year um, that is something that's looked very favorably upon, uh, you know, venture capital firms and you know companies that are looking to buy small businesses. Wow. Okay. That that is. Thank you for that. That that is so great. I, as you were talking about that, I was wondering to myself, is it a worthwhile venture for uh, micro businesses? You know, the one to ten. The solopreneurs to the, the the you know ten employees because of uh, the ability to handle project size. Right. Well, I think it is if you are in, and I have this conversation with a lot of people that are thinking about getting started, right? Because there's a, I would say that there's a parameter that you want to meet if you're going to get into selling to the government, right? Which is one is you need to have a business. Right. And two, just talking about because there are drawbacks, right? One of them is the time it takes to sell to the government. So you're typically looking at longer timelines. So for a micro business, so if you have one to 10 people, you need to have revenue coming in to pay for those people. So typically, I say you probably want to have commercial revenue coming in and, and have your business squared away. You do something really great. And now you have the ability to start, and it doesn't have to be a, a huge effort, but you have the ability to consistently, you know, start building your pipeline. You know, it could only be with one. In fact, I recommend that you start with one agency or maybe two tops, but even within an agency, there's multiple people to sell to. Hmm. Um, but you can start very, very focused, even with one to 10 people, start winning those contracts. Um, you know, we have a, for instance, one of our clients, she was also on our podcast, uh, L2 Cyber, uh, the CEO, Lisa, you know, she had, I don't think it's this small anymore, but her team was certainly less than 10 people. You know, when she began and and consistently was winning contracts, um, a lot of that as a subcontractor. So that might be 
an angle if you are a small micro business and you don't want to prime a contract, meaning you don't own the contract with the government, but you're partnered with a prime that does. Um, and she's doing ex exceedingly well. And a lot of times micro businesses turn into large businesses <laughs> because of their government contracts that start coming in over the years. So it's certainly doable. You just want to make sure that you have the resources to kind of go after those contracts and, and, and do your regular business at the same time. Okay. I love this idea of, of the, you know, being a sub. Um, so which leads me to a question of how do small businesses find those opportunities to sell to the government? Sure. So in actually, even before that, what I would encourage, you know, anyone listening that's thinking about selling to the government, I really wasn't, I wasn't exaggerating or kidding when I said the government buys just about everything that you could think of. And so what I tell people first is, you know, before you look at registering to the government or even looking for opportunities that are available now, you can go see if the government buys what you sell with startling clarity. And one of the, uh, the large benefits of public sector sales is that the government has to report everything that they buy. So every single contract, not only does it get you know, announced, but there are certain criteria in that contract that are going to get published. And I want to say it's over 300 different criteria. So who they're selling to, what it was for, how much money was spent, what kind of contract it is. I mean, that, that list can go on. So the first place I direct your listeners is go to usaspending.gov. It's a government website. It's free. And there you can check out exactly what the government's spending. So hmm. if you are, you know, if you are a landscaping company, you know, you could go in there and you could look at landscaping. You'll have to learn how to use the parameters a little bit, but you could search federal spending from uh, fiscal year 20 to current. And if, by the way, the government works on a fiscal year for your listeners, and that's uh, October 1st to end of September, as far as they're concerned. And uh, but you can look at the spending over the past couple of years and, you know, you could either type in a keyword like landscaping or you could search for something. Uh, there's a uh, section in there where you can look up codes, uh, the North American American industry classification codes is how the government kind of buckets different industries. So you could probably find one for landscaping or accounting services, something, you know, whatever it is that you do. And then that will show you the spending year over year. And you'd probably be surprised. It's probably the billions of dollars hmm. um, that they're spending on things like that. It, it typically is if we look at it over the past couple of years. Um, but so that's the first. Oh, by the way, you can also you know, further segmented how much of that was awarded to small businesses. How big were the contracts? You can click on the companies and see how much those companies make year over year with the government. So you can do a lot of research for free and basically verify that the government buys what you sell and kind of get an idea of what you could make as a small business selling to the government uh, in order to, you know, because if the government doesn't buy what you sell, there are certainly areas where they, I would say the spending is smaller you know, you may not want to waste your time. Right. Typically, that's not the case. But, you know, like if you're a documentary film company, you know, you're not going to win a $20 million contract with the government, most likely. But, you know, $50,000, $100,000, $200,000 contracts are out there to, to a limited extent. But you want to know that before you, you know, put the effort in to, you know, looking for opportunities and whatnot. Wow, that that's awesome. Thank you. That That is, uh, and I think that, clears it up for so many people because a lot of, especially service providers, I think wonder whether it, there's even an opportunity. So um, that sure. is, yeah, some great information. And um, 
Share and with I us. Didn't the last, I didn't answer the last part of your question, which was you can go to sam.gov is the uh, is basically the repository for all of the opportunities. Ah, um, there are okay. some exceptions to that, but so you know, after you verify that the government buys what you sell, you can head over to sam.gov and you can look for opportunities. Uh, that's where you register your uh, company to sell to the government. So there's a lot of good information on that website. Great, thank you. Okay. And now let's talk about some misconceptions that like common misconceptions that small business owners have about government procurement um, sure. and, and how we can overcome them. So. Yeah. Shoot. I mean, I could, I could give you a list of uh, common misconceptions. <laughs> I mean, there, there are plenty of them. You know, one we've already addressed, which is that the government only buys weapons or the government only buys from large companies. It's just, it's patently false. And like I mentioned, there's a requirement. So the SBA sets a, a goal for each of the agencies. And if you average it out, it's 23% of how much of their federal spending, how much of their budget is going to go to contracts with small businesses versus large. So that's the first thing. The government does buy from small businesses. They buy just about everything you could think of and, and the required to buy. So I would say that that's misconception number one. Okay. Number two is probably that there's something nefarious with government contracts, meaning, you know, that you have to know somebody or they're rigged or it's just, you know, politicians and generals handing contracts to their buddies, you know, because that's what we hear about in the news sometimes. And yeah. They're great for headlines, but I mean, it's just like any other industry, right? Uh, whether we're talking about the government or, you know, you pick at the music industry or, you know, a law firm, there, there's always going to be, you know, a scandal or some nefarious actor in any industry. But for the most part, the government is not involved in things like that. The government, in fact, it's so regulated that it, it, it does a really good job of preventing any nefarious activity. Any, you know, just handing somebody a contract because they're your buddy. Um, there are a lot of rules against that. And of course, as a procurement officer, I had to abide by those rules. So you have to be really careful. But uh, so that'd be the other thing. It, it, government contracts are not rigged, but there is a process for selling to the government that is quite different than selling commercially or selling B2B. And you need to understand that process if you really want to be effective uh, selling to federal agencies. All right. So let's talk about that. Process. I mean, you don't have to go into huge detail because I have a feeling it's somewhat complicated. But, like, yeah. you know, overview. What what is someone getting themselves into? Sure. So we talked a little bit about the timelines, right? So the government. I think just some big things to think about are first, the government has to be very careful that there's no appearance of showing preference or illegal preference for companies that are trying to sell to them. So. When you see, if you go to sam.gov, and this is actually one of the, the biggest mistakes companies make also, so this is probably a good example. When you go to sam.gov and you're looking for opportunities, you'll see something called a solicitation or that will fall under a solicitation. And typically that solicitation is going to be a request for proposal or a request for quote. And what some companies do, probably the majority of them, if, they, if they're not familiar with federal contracting... They'll go in and they'll say, well, my advertising, my small advertising firm or marketing firm, you know, does this and I'm seeing a request for a proposal that looks exactly like it's perfect for us. And then they put a proposal together 
And it takes time because, you know, those proposals take some time to write. They send it in and they lose. And maybe they do that five, six, seven or eight times. And they notice that not only are they winning, but now they've been reading some of these. It looks like their competitor is winning. And it looks like these were written. Maybe it's the same company that's winning some of those. Starts looking like it was written for them. So then they come to the conclusion, you know, what we were talking about before, which was, hey, this is rigged, right? Right. Well, this this highlights one of the big differences between, or at least one of the uh, things you have to consider when selling to the government process-wise. When the solicitation comes out, in fact, I don't even let my clients or students in our academy go after those unless we've started six months before. And what I mean by that is a solicitation comes out from the government for the marketing services. Well, now they're handing cuffs are on. They have to be very, very careful not to talk to you or answer questions because that could be seen as preferential treatment. And if you uh, watch the news and or listen to any of the, the contracts or to the government, you may have heard of things called protests, which do happen all the time. Companies will protest the award of a government contract, especially for these sizable contracts. So the government is very careful not to show preferential treatment. And this is all regulated by something called the Federal Acquisition Regulations. But, and here's the part, usually companies give up before they discover this. In government contracting, there's something that comes before the solicitation called the market research phase. And this is a legal phase where you can talk to the government, you can talk to the office that buys what you sell, you can legally influence the process. So if you did have a, a marketing firm or you had a, if you sold flowers and you're trying to, you know, uh, maybe there was some, uh, some contract uh, to purchase, you know, something along those lines, you could get to them beforehand. And often the government will put out a request for information or sources sought saying, Hey, I need to buy, you know, X number of product goods, or I'm looking for administrative services for three years. I need five people. Well, now companies, and, and most of them don't respond to this, but now you can respond to that and you could set up a meeting with the office if they're they're open to it. And there's certain things you can put in there, like, hey, we have these certifications. We have, we're a woman-owned small business, which is a set-aside. We, we may talk about that. You could get the government to set aside a contract for your type of business. It could be a small business. It could be a woman-owned small business, a service-disabled, veteran-owned small business. And when you're doing those things, you're eliminating competition. You're building a relationship with the government who's at the person who's actually going to be buying from you, and you're much more likely to win. So again, just to go back over that, the process, find the opportunity before the solicitation comes out and influence that process. And th this is probably is similar, more similar to the traditional sales process. You want to develop a relationship and then put in your proposal. And so, so that's a quick overview of what uh, I would say a winning strategy looks like. That's terrific. And you said something in there that leads me to another question, which is, do you have to be a certified woman-owned or vet-owned or disadvantaged or what, you know, fill in the blank in order to meet that criteria? So you don't need any certification to okay. sell to the government outside of you know your company's registered in sam.gov but you know part of the process is you know trying to gain the competitive advantage right so if you meet the criteria for woman owned small business and you go and you get that certification you know if you go to sam.gov you can search for 
solicitations that are already set aside for women-owned small businesses. And so basically what the certification allows you to do is it allows you to qualify to go after those type of contracts. Now, you don't need the certification. Some, in fact, you can, if you really want to geek out on all the contracting data, you can see which agencies and which offices prefer different set-asides. You know, like uh, the VA, for instance, if you were a service-disabled veteran-owned small business and you got that certification, you would see that the VA awards way over 23% of their contracts to that particular set-aside. So that's a great agency to start with if you have mm. a set-aside like that. Um, you can you can certainly try to convince the government to set a particular opportunity aside, and that, that helps you in the uh, competition. But it's not necessary, right? So if you don't have that, it doesn't mean you can't sell to the government. It just means that you're, if you are you know, doing what we're advising and you're finding opportunities and influencing, you recommend, hey, I recommend you don't set this aside for a woman-owned small business or SDVOSB because you're going to limit competition. You're not going to get companies that have the best technology. I mean, you, you're going to, you know, that this, this part of it's kind of an art form and you can be creative, but um, yeah, you're just taking the opposite approach essentially. Hmm. Wow. That's interesting. And it clears something up for me. So thank you. So um, uh, what was I just going to ask you? Oh, about standing out. So, you know, I do this whole thing and I find out, you know, what's out there and I have those meetings. And then um, one of the things that, that I've noticed is that and so I'm curious if this is really true. I've noticed it on the local level um, that once that request for proposal or request for quote comes out, that solicitation, uh, you have to respond to it exactly as it's written. Is, is that true? Yes. So that is 1 million percent true. So it's it's almost the exact opposite of responding to a, a sources sought or request for information in that market research phase. So I, I put them in two very distinct buckets. You know, the RFI source of sod is that is something you can be very creative with. You can answer as much or as little of it. I've even answered them late. I don't recommend it, but you can. There's no official thing going on there. But the solicitation, the RFP, the RFQ, I mean, that's going to some of those are extremely detailed. And especially when we're looking at a lot of competition, you know, for an, I'll give you an example. So you might see an RFP that tells you uh, they want it in Times New Roman 12 point font, and it has to be 20 pages. If you submit a 25 page proposal, first, you can immediately expect them not to read the last five pages, the last five pages go in the trash, if they don't disqualify you altogether for not wow. following the rules. Um, you know, because what happens with these is a lot of times you have a team that's going to score you know, these contracts or these proposals, and there's going to be a list of criteria that they're scoring on. And that list of criteria is in large part given to you when that RFP comes out. So there's a, you know, what we say is that we're building a compliance matrix for, you know, people that write proposals all the time, which is basically a spreadsheet where they're taking like all the things like, hey, we want a cost section and a technical section. And each section, we want you to address these things. And by the way, here's the the, the font in some cases or the page count. So yeah, you, this is not a place to get creative. Um, you you want to make sure you are following, you're answering all of the questions, you're following the guidelines and, and absolutely submit on time, if not before. And what about 
um, needing to be bonded and insured. Is that a big thing or does it depend on the agency or what they're looking for, you know, as it far depends. as what service or product? Yeah. I mean, it, it depends. Exactly. It depends on the solicitation and it depends on what you are, you know, what your product service is. So if you are in construction, for instance, you know, those solicitations uh, that I've worked on with clients, those usually require a bond of some sort. You may be able to get around that as a subcontractor, but I think even they would require that of you, if, um, you know, depending on how it was set up. But yes, it's going to be, it's largely dependent upon what you're doing. So in, in, in construction just comes to mind because that's where I see that a lot of the time. You're going to have to have, you're going to have to have insurance as a, as a business that is uh, doing work, but you have to be very careful about reading the solicitation and seeing what, because those solicitations, even just reading it, you're going to, you're going to get a sense of what it's for and what's going to be required, but it's also going to have FAR clauses in there. So, you know, I might say FAR, you know, 21.2 X and, you know, you need to go and read what those clauses are because you're signing up to, you're basically saying, I will adhere to these FAR clauses. So you want to make sure that you understand what you're signing up for when you submit a proposal. And and FAR stands for Federal Acquisition? It stands for Federal Acquisitions Regulations. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Which, which basically, by the way, I mean, so the FAR, you, you know, this, the reason government contracting can seem complex is it's basically been regulated since the Revolutionary War, right? So, uh, you know, we can read like the founding fathers arguing and, and being aggravated with contractors and government procurement officials. And so, you know, they've regulated, deregulated, put processes in place, you know, for hundreds of years. At one point, we had over sixty thousand pages of acquisitions regulations Wait. before we started paring that down. That you know, someone like myself or and my team would have had to go through to ensure we're you know meeting all that criteria. Which obviously, that could take a long time, which causes some of the the timeline. But really, for the small businesses and for someone listening, you don't have to understand all of that. What you have to understand is how the government buys what you sell and what is required from your business in in the contract you're going after. And that makes it a lot easier to digest and put a, a solid plan that's doable in place so you can win contracts and, and adhere to you know what you are making a commitment to do for the government. Okay, so that just led me to another thing. So um, I, I really appreciate that. And I'm really hoping people heard that just really focus on how the government buys what you sell. Like, don't try and be a globalist and understand everything there because forget it. Um, On average, go ahead. uh, On average, um, what is a small business owner looking at in terms of time investment in doing the research and, and let's say they go ahead and and they want to, provide a proposal, putting that proposal together? Yeah. So first, why don't we start out with just general time investment? Typically, you're looking at 12 to 18 months before you win your first government contract. That doesn't mean, hey, I'm working 40 hours a week, you know, on trying to win proposals, and then I'll finally get one. But typically, if uh, let's just walk through a, uh, you know, an example of what a process might look like. Do you have a, do the small business owners that listen to your show, are they in one particular area or another? Or 
No, they're pretty no. varied. Okay. So pick well, up. Yeah, I mean, you can pick a, a vertical. All right. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll stick to, let's say it's accounting and a okay. small firm, or maybe they provide bookkeeping services, right? And I like that one because we recently did a, a project there. Oh, which great. We can also see how competitive these are, right? So uh, whether something's getting on average 70 solicitations or like two or three, right? So you've... Uh, You've picked bookkeeping because you know it's a good, uh, you know, the government's spending a lot of money there on small businesses. It's not very competitive. And we know that we want to find out about the opportunities ahead of time. And maybe we've chosen the Air Force. We've done our research. We know that the Air Force, uh, maybe Lifecycle Management Center, because it's all published, awards women-owned small businesses. I'm making this up, right? But awards yeah. women-owned small businesses that provide bookkeeping services at a higher percentage than the others. So that's who our target is. And we are responding to a source of thought. So let's say that in June of 23, a source of thought comes out and says, hey, I need somebody, a, it might not even say woman-owned small business, but we're looking for a company to provide you know, five people on a three-year contract-ish to provide bookkeeping services. And so you get that source of thought, you write a response, maybe it's due you know, July 5th or July 10th. So the first chunk of time is you've you probably spent 30 days before that anyway, doing research to figure out who you're targeting. Then you get the, so that's May 1st. Then June 1st, you find that source of thought. It's due in July. So you submit it maybe before the due date. Now the government's going to take that and they're probably going to, it's probably going to take them two or three months of reading through the responses. Now they may reach out to you. That small business might reach out and I would advise them to after you submit it and say, hey, you know, let's talk about you know the services that we provide. But assuming this goes to competition, the solicitation on that probably won't come out because what the government's doing with those sources sought, by the way, is, you know, they're not the experts at bookkeeping. You know, that's that's your expertise as the business owner. The government's, you know, my expertise was putting companies on contract, not bookkeeping or cybersecurity. So they rely on the businesses that are out there to tell them like, hey, what should be in the solicitation? So they may meet with you in the meantime. Mm -hmm. They got to put that solicitation together. That might not come out until October, right? And now when it comes out, let's say it comes out October 1st, well, now there's also going to be, they got to give you time to write the proposal. So they may give you 45 days. It's due November 15th and they get all the proposals in and now they have to review them. But now you've got the holidays between Thanksgiving and Christmas. I can tell you that you're probably not going to have an award until maybe February at best or March. Mm. So you could see there that, that that's a pretty long timeline. And yeah. by the way, I mean, you could, it, are there examples where you could be on contract in a couple of months? Yes. But as a general rule, you're, you're going to look at a more traditional process for a lot of your contracts. Um, but that's kind of what that looks like. And, you know, in there, you might be forming teaming relationships or partnering with a prime, or there's a lot of different things you may be doing for that, um, for that particular um, contract you're trying to win. And so there'll be months where you're not doing much of anything except for, you know, flight following the, the acquisitions office that's putting that out there. But it does take them time to review everything and get you on contract. I think that is such a great explanation of that. I, I really appreciate it. it. puts it in context and leads me to my question about, um, it seems to me, so I'm curious what you think, that taking time to build relationships with primes, if you've decided, you know, subbing is, is probably the best way to go 
has real value. And and so A, do you agree with that? And B, if you do, how does a potential sub go about finding out who those primes are? Is that by looking at who's won contracts? Yes. And I so I do think it's worthwhile. And there's a specific way I would say to do it and a specific way not to do it. Um I wouldn't let's start off with what not to do because yeah. because there are a lot of small businesses that that do this. They come to the conclusion after looking into the process that, well, hey, I'm going to only be a sub. And now maybe they've been usaspending.gov, maybe they have an idea of like what research tools are out there. They're like, well, I can go out there and I can see what companies have contracts with the government. And then they make a list and they start emailing these companies and and really um, ruining their reputation. So companies aren't going to respond to that. So, you know, emailing a company that's already on contract begging for work or, you know, hey, I see that you have an accounting contract. I do bookkeeping services. You know, if you send that email a hundred times, you might find one that has a problem with the bookkeeping sub that they already have. But for the most part, you're putting they're putting that proposal in knowing who's going to do the bookkeeping services. So if they're on contract to do that, they're either doing it themselves or they already have a sub. What you want to do, and this work, this is very effective, is you start with the opportunity. So so start by finding that that bookkeeping or accounting sources saw it that we were talking about. And maybe you even respond to it, right? But you know, you can look at, because here's what's ha- what happens is typically the government likes to buy solutions to problems. And a lot of small businesses might do part of that, offer part of the solution and not the whole thing. So what you could look for is, okay, well, the government, it looks like they're looking for someone provides bookkeeping and tax preparation services, and you just want to focus on bookkeeping. Well, now you can go out and you can look on the USA spending. And there's a lot of sites that do research, by the way. Some are paid for, some are free, but I'm using the the, uh, USA spending because it's a free government tool. You can go on there and you can see, hey, what companies are providing tax preparation services to, if it's still the Air Force Lifecycle Management Center. So what I would be doing is I would recommend identifying companies that are selling to the agency that you have found the opportunity for that are on contract that have uh, past performance maybe avoiding the huge companies is what i tend to do right mm-hmm. i like to stick to companies that are kind of in the middle that aren't going to have huge teams but have done you know at least you know somewhere like 5 to 10 20 million dollars in federal contracting so they have good past performance they've sold to the agency you're trying to sell to but they're not so big that they don't need you and when you reach out to a company like that and say so you don't it's not hat in hand now you're reaching out saying hey you know what i'm a small business i i do bookkeeping services and i have an opportunity with the government that i want to talk to you about partnering on because i don't do the tax prep piece it looks like you do that do you want to set up a meeting if you send that email i mean four times out of five you're going to you know get a response and, and set up that meeting and see if they're a good fit for you guys so again best thing to do find the opportunity, then set up the teaming arrangement with the company you want to partner with. Oh, that's fabulous. Thank you. Wow. This is, this has been so incredibly valuable. I have been taking pages of notes. Uh, I so appreciate this. And I know the listeners do too. Will you please tell them what you do to help small businesses um, work on getting those government contracts and how people can find you? Sure. No, thanks for asking. So I have 
a website called dodcontract.com. And so there's really two ways that we offer services with clients. One is I would say the initial, if you're learning about it, if you have not started selling to the government, you haven't done it before, and you just want to learn about it, get going, learn how to do the research, certifications, put your uh, roadmap together, all of that. DODcontract.com is probably for you. It's it's a low price level of entry. It's a monthly membership. You can come in. We have on-demand training and we also have weekly coaching and you're going to get me or you're going to get another government or former government acquisitions officer, contracting officer, that type of person. You're also going to have a bunch of small businesses that are, that are selling or trying to sell to the government to, to talk to. So that's the first tier. Uh, the second tier is where we do more of your traditional high-end consulting. So you're a business, maybe you're a large business or a small business that's, you know, you have consistent revenue and you're ready to invest in somebody to either help put your strategy together, work, you know, a monthly with your team, train them or, you know, help them identify opportunities and, and kind of work those in your pipeline. That's the second part of what we do. So, uh, but either way, whatever you're interested in, you can go to dodcontract.com and you can re uh, reach us there. And by the way, the only other thing I would add to that is for free, you could listen to our podcast and that's uh, the DOD Contract Academy podcast. And that's on all of the podcast uh, platforms. Oh, that's great. Okay. I'll make sure all that is in the show notes. Uh, well, once again, Ricky, thank you so much for this. I really appreciate you breaking it down and and sharing all that information. It's going to help so many people um, cut through the noise and not do the things that they're not supposed to do. So <laughs> thank you for that. And listeners, thank you. You are who we're doing this for. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Discover more episodes of this podcast and explore others at evergreenpodcast.com. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And if you're looking to get your sales strategy headed in the right direction, pick up a copy of Succeed Without Selling on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast.